you for your love, your kindness, your mercy, and especially your peace. Your peace. You are the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that you calm every storm. You overwhelm every trouble with that wonderful blanket of peace, your peace. Lord, I pray for each one of us today as we listen to your word. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would go to every heart. You know the condition of our hearts. You know the condition of our minds. You know the troubling thoughts sometimes that try to bring us down. Lord, I pray that your peace, your peace would be like a blanket right across this place. And Lord, we would leave this place today with a new sense, a new strength within us, a new sense of your peace, enabling us to do what you've called us to do. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a shout. Thank our musicians. Come on, let's thank our musicians this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to continue on talking about God's Word being the final authority in our lives. Making God's Word the final authority in our lives. And we looked at this a little last week from Luke chapter 5. If you remember, we saw how Jesus led Peter through a series of small steps of surrender as he led him back out into waters where he had previously been greatly disappointed. Jesus took Peter back out into a place of failure, back out into a place of fruitlessness, back out into a situation that had previously been very negative. Jesus is in Peter's boat. Jesus had asked Peter to use his boat for his purpose, and Peter had allowed him. He'd left washing his nets, and he obediently attended to Jesus' needs. He needed to get into the boat so that he could minister to the multitude. Peter was serving Jesus' purpose. And once Jesus had finished talking to that multitude, he said, hey, Peter, now it's your turn. Let's go out back into that deep water where you failed. Let's go back out into that place that was so unproductive for you. Let's go back out into the deep and let down your net for a catch, Peter. Peter momentarily recoils and he objects very often like we do because our feelings rise up. But suddenly the objection turns to obedience as his faith rises above his feelings. And he says, nevertheless, Lord, even though we've had a night full of failure, even though we've caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. We said that if we are going to make God's word the final authority in our lives, our will has to engage with the word of God. It 
has to engage with the word that Jesus speaks, either through his word or by his spirit, in order to move towards the blessing and the abundance that God has, uh, has for us, we have to take steps. Take steps. James put it like this. He says, hey, listen, don't just be hearers of the word, church. Be doers of the word. And then he went on to say this. He said, faith without corresponding works is dead. It's no good just to have a profession. God wants us to listen to his word, yes, to hear it clearly, yes, but then to walk that word out in order to see all of the blessings that God has for us. And this scenario that Peter finds himself in is not too dissimilar from the circumstances very often that you and I face. Because very often we can go through times and seasons that can seem so unproductive, sometimes so negative, and we've done everything we can do, and it's resulted in nothing and we're disappointed, maybe disillusioned, feeling that God's a million miles away, and then suddenly God's directing you back out through his word into a place that had previously disappointed you. That's where Peter was at, and he objects. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is this. He doesn't, you know, get up in Peter's face and say, right, because you objected, that's it. Don't put your net down. You're not getting anything. No, he moves him through his objection. He waits maybe quietly and he allows that word, his voice, the living word to, to soak into Peter's spirit, to, to address his feelings. We look, we said, I, I referred to Hebrews chapter 4, where the writer talking about the word of God said this, the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can bring division between that which is spiritual and that which is soulish. It can even judge the thoughts and the intents of somebody's heart, of our hearts. It's wonderful to have God's word as a living sword in your life judging the thoughts and the feelings and the very intents of your mind, bringing correction to them. It's wonderful to have that, that word, that living word, as a judge within you. There's nothing wrong with judgment. We need judgment. Judgment over the feelings and the thoughts and the imaginations that bombard our minds on a daily basis. Let the word of God judge those. Scrutinize every decision. Scrutinize and examine our direction and our decisions in life. Let the word of God do that. You see, it can divide that which is soulish, fleshly, unproductive from that which is spiritual and that which is blessed and that which is abundant. And Peter Here's this word, and there's something different about this word. It's living. Maybe his reason is railing against it. Maybe his thoughts and his feelings are saying, this is just absolutely crazy to go back out into this place. But nevertheless, at your word, I will let down. My God, he let down that net and the net started to break and the boat started to, to sink and he had to signal to his brothers. My God, it's incredible what, what can happen when we simply trust 
God. And I said to you, you know, that faith is not a series of, you know, huge, massive steps. Very often we're being led moment by moment by Jesus, little steps. He understands that we can't take big, giant leaps. He knows our temperaments. He knows our, our weaknesses. And he's so gentle how he leads us. Just one step today, Dave. Maybe two steps tomorrow. We're going to get you, Dave. We're going to get you there, Dave, to that, to that blessing and that abundance that I, that I have for you. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about the very qualities and blessings of, of God's life in our lives. Peter and his friends were learning something about Jesus that they had never known. He was a carpenter in a boat talking about fishing, and yet he had power and dominion even over creation. And he demonstrated it so wonderfully in that moment. They get back to the shore and they leave everything because now Jesus had captured their lives. They'd seen something about Jesus that they'd never known. A living word, the living word among them fleshed out before them and they were beholding his glory. Let me tell you something about being a follower of Jesus. You, 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 you see wonderful things about him, aspects about his nature and his character and about his kingdom and how he operates that will leave you awestruck, awestruck. You know, I used to say, I know Jesus. And then when things started to kick off in Jesus cares and God started to bless us abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or think, I kind of changed that confession to, do you know what? I don't know Jesus. I don't know who he is anymore. Yeah, I know he's the savior. I know he's, he's my Lord, but there's aspects about his glory. There's aspects about his character that I'm telling you it's going to take an eternity an eternity and an eternity on top of an eternity to even fathom. And then at the end of it all, you won't be anywhere nearer fathoming who he is in all of his wonder, in all of his splendor than when you first began. He's wonderful. Paul at the outset, I'm telling you, man, Paul at the outset of his life, when Jesus met him on the Damascus road, he cried, on the floor as a blind man struck by the glory of God. He said, who are you? Who are you, Lord? He knew that he was Lord, but he didn't know who he was. And Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you persecute. On from there, Paul went to write many, many wonderful things about the Christ. He went to heaven. He saw wonders that he couldn't talk about. But then at the end of his life, when he was writing the book of Philippians, he was in a, he was in a prison cell, incarcerated, unable to move. And do you know what the cry was as he was in the closing moments of his life? Oh, that I might know you. Oh, that I might know you. What does that say? I'll tell you what it says. A man who had given his life over to Jesus, who had seen many, many wonderful, marvelous things, revelations that you couldn't even imagine. He'd written over two-thirds of the New Testament, and yet even after knowing all that he knew, he felt that he knew nothing about Jesus, the one who had saved him and the one who, who loved him and who lived in him. 
Being a follower of Christ is a constant revelation of his beauty, of his wonder, of his glory. And when we simply obey those little prompts, just like Anne did, she's been, she's been listening to that still small voice all of her life. And look at the blessing. Look at the blessing. Has there been times where Anne hasn't wanted to tithe? Has there been times where, where things have been, you know, really difficult for her? Probably yes. But you know what? She's kept on obeying God's word and look at the result. I don't know if we're going to get through this this morning. Do you know? Do you know what? God provides seed to the sower. It's his word. He provides seed to the sower. He really does. Now this isn't, you know, pull a rabbit out of a magician's hat stuff. Right? But as you consistently and faithfully obey the word of God, there will be a harvest on your good works. Paul said, he said, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, in due course, you will receive the harvest of your work. It's, it's right throughout the scripture. You know, I like, you know I love me biking. Oh, I'm on my bike all the time. I absolutely love it. And God's given me that. I tell you, I believe God's pleased. And, and it's a way that I commune with him, have time with him, and I hear his voice. And I just absolutely, when the mountain gets in your blood, I tell you, man, you've got to be up there all the time. I'm there, I'm on top of the mountain, I'm going through the woods and the valleys and the ravines. I love it. And God knows that. Well, I remember on one occasion, years ago now, buying a, a bike frame. It was a second-hand bike frame. And, you know, it was, really, it was a really good bike frame. I actually traded it. I didn't buy it. I traded it for something else that, that I had, that this person needed. And this bike frame was probably worth about 1,500 pounds, just a frame. I mean, it was a carbon fiber frame, downhill kind of rig, and it was like really an aggressive frame, perfect for a little project that I needed to do. And I, you know, I anticipated building it up over the months to come. And I, I, I was in the garage one night when we were living in Cumbran, and I was looking at that frame, and I used to ride with a young guy from this church, and we used to ride together, you know, do awesome things together, middle of the night, everything. We just loved it. And I felt that little voice that Anne was talking about. I felt that little voice just make a little suggestion. Say, it'd be nice for um, maybe so-and-so to have that frame, wouldn't it? It, was just, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a command. It was just a little suggestion, just a little conversation. And, you know, I didn't really know how to respond in all honesty, because I thought it'd be a really nice bike for me. That's why I had it. Carbon fiber, oh, light, strong, versatile. Go down anything, go up anything. Beautiful. I mean, it was just such a, I mean, it was something that you would want to put in your room and just bow down to. It was one of those proper idols. You got them as well, you little tinkers. It was just a full-on idol. It really was. And I, I'm sure I went into that garage a couple of times just to 
give it a little bit of adoration and worship. I might have even sung or whistled a little tune to it. It was a full-on, a full-on idol. Or had the potential to be. So anyway, I thought, I thought about it. And I thought, oh, I kind of imagined, you know, the smile on the person's face if they were going to get it. And I kind of thought of, you know, the riding that we'd be able to do together and the blessing that it would be. And I thought, hey, do you know what? I'm going to sow it, right? I'm going to sow it. Do you know, when you're obedient, not only are you going to get blessed, somebody else is going to get blessed, but it's going to result in far, far greater blessing than you can ever imagine. Now, let me just say this, right? This doesn't happen all the time. I'm not saying you do this and, you know, I'm not trying to give you some magical formula and some equation that, you know, just all I'm saying is this happened for me, okay, right? So anyway, I gave the bike and he's really happy and it's great. I mean, even just to see the joy on his face as a result of receiving that blessing. That was it. I forgot about it. I was just, I wasn't even saying, right, God, well, I'm going to sow this now. And as a result of sowing this, I expect a harvest. I mean, I didn't say any, I, I just wanted to give it him and I just thought it'd be a nice thing to do. Do you know what? I don't know how long it was. It was a few months, right? A few months. Now, keep in mind now and, and just imagine the outcome, right? A few months later, I get a call from Newport Police Station, right? We have in our possession a hundred bikes. Can you do anything with them? <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'll let that sink in. Can you do anything? Um, hold on, just give me two hours to, to, to think about that. Hun Did you say a hundred? hundred bikes, yeah. I said, do you know what? I said, I can do something with a hundred bikes. Of course, easy, easy. No problem at all. I can do something with a hundred bikes. When do you want me to collect them? I'll be down with a van. Do you know what? I went down with a van, right? I banged in. I don't, know, I don't even know if I could get the hundred in, right? Man, I just, there were frames and bikes and parts everywhere, right? And uh, when I received them, there were numerous people in the church, unfortunately, that, that rose up and couldn't understand why I was getting the bikes. But you see, they hadn't planted the seed. So, so the thing, you see, the Bible says the things of the spirit are carnal and foolish. To, uh, they're carnal and foolish to the unspiritual. But to those that are spiritual, they fully understand what was happening. I thought, my God, here we go. It's harvest time. Do you know what, right? I couldn't possibly ride the 100 bikes, although I did, have a, I did attempt it once or twice, right? But you know what? Through that seed, I was able to get those 100 bikes out into communities to families that children didn't have bikes and adults, and what a blessing that was. What am I saying? I didn't know at the end of my obedience that was going to result in blessing, not only for me, but also for many others. Many others. How strange. How odd. That's unusual, friends. That doesn't just happen. Things in this church 
of an unusual nature happen all the time. We're receiving an Arctic lorry load of food on uh, this evening, over 40,000 pounds worth of prod product into our storehouse. I had a call on Friday to, 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 to ask if we could receive it. Why is that? I'll tell you why that is, because years and years ago, a little seed was sown in a shopping basket at the, in, in the foyer, and us as a family, we came and we sowed our seeds, and some could only bring, you know, a, a tin of Heinz beans, others could bring a half a bag full, others could bring two bags full, but the seeds were sown, and now we are seeing an increase in harvest. That's where it all began. It really is. When you obey his word, when you make God's word the final authority in your life, it's not going to straightjacket you. Yes, it might correct you, but blessing results. It really does. And this is what, this is what Peter was understanding from this night, for, on this day when Jesus was in his boat. Luke chapter 5 verse 4. Let's just return to it for a moment and then we're going to set out from here. It says, when Jesus had stopped speaking, speaking to the multitude, he said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Let down your nets for a catch. Now, this morning, for the time that we have together, I'm going to concentrate on that little word, let. Let. It's a verb. It's a doing word. And when Jesus used it in this conversation that he had with Peter, he was requiring immediate action. Verse 5 says, he let down the net. And it, it concludes this way. It says, when they had done this, when they had done what? When they had let down the net, they caught a great number of fish. I'm telling you, if we will do our part, be sure of it, church. God certainly will do his part. He really will in a way that's exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. If we only knew the blessing beyond our surrender, the blessing beyond our submission, the blessing beyond our obedience, if we only knew, we would never ever raise an objection. Amazing. He saw God's glory in a wonderful way. And I'm telling you, I'm here today to tell you, I've seen this glory, face seen it. Many of you have seen this glory as we have simply obeyed without objection. Yes, our reason may have rose up and spoke contrary to what God is saying, but as we've moved through those objections and simply obeyed and simply surrendered, oh, the blessing of God, not just to us, but to the whole southeastern region of Wales from this little place. Wonderful. We're going to concentrate on this little verb because it's interesting when you study and when you, when you look at the scriptures, when you, when you isolate this word, you see that it's used throughout Scripture on many occasions. Do you know there's over a thousand commands in the New Testament? 
for us to follow, for us to implement, for us to obey. And as we follow those commands, great blessing in our lives results. If, if we make God's word the final authority in aspects of our lives, in the way we think, in the way that we live, in the way that we act, as a result of that, great blessing unfolds. Over a thousand commands in the New Testament. And this little word, this little prefix word is used in those commands on over a hundred times in the New Testament. The writers use this word as a prefix word to issue commands and direction, give guidance and instruction that would result in blessing. And we're going to look at just a few this morning. We haven't got time to go through the hundred that are out there, but you can make your own personal study. But even the few that we look at will be a blessing. What we're going to see is how this verb let is used as a prefix for commands to be obeyed, instructions to be followed, and directions to be taken for our lives. Now, I'm going to give you three areas for us to see how this word let applies to our lives. Firstly, we're going to see how it applies in our hearts and in our emotions. Then secondly, we're going to move on to see how it applies in our words and actions. And then finally, we're going to see how it outplays and works in our relationships with one another. So firstly, let's see how this word, this verb let works in our hearts and emotions. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. On the last night or the, the closing nights of his life, John chapter 13, we see that Jesus was in an upper room with his disciples. It's a private moment, but we're brought into it as a result of John describing that night and Jesus spending the closing moments of his life with his disciples. He washes their feet and he demonstrates an example of complete unconditional love. Not a love that needs position, not a love that, you know, that, that needs prominence, but a servant love. A love that lays its life down. And he washes his, his disciples' feet so tenderly. After washing his disciples' feet, Judas would still go coldly and sell the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver to the high priest. Peter would still go on even after this amazing act of unconditional love. Peter would still go on to to disown the Son of God three times just as Jesus had prophesied. But this was an amazing display. But I want you to, to picture the scene. I want you to, to understand the tremendous, the terrific pressure that Jesus could have been under emotionally. He knew what was happening. He knew what was ahead of him. He wasn't blind. He knew exactly the stages that were going to unfold exactly as he walked towards the cross and laid down his life. He knew that Judas would go on to betray him. 
even though he'd served him and loved him and blessed him, he knew that Peter would go on to disown him three times. So the, 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 the pressure, and yet we don't find Jesus pacing the floor. We don't find Jesus pulling on his hair. What am I going to do? We don't find Jesus fraught with anxiety and fear. We don't find Jesus trying to hold on to everything. Look, I've been, I've been a famous preacher. Everybody wants to know me. I've had multitude after multitude. I've done all of these miracles. And to be brought to such a sudden end like this, it's terrible. It's disgusting. No. It's incredible. It's incredible. No fear. No worry. My goodness, this is a different life. This is a very different life. This is a life that's in complete control of circumstance. This is a life that has no fear in it. This is a life that is unmoved by trouble. This is a life that can, can, can exist and smile in the darkest hour. What kind of life is this? The same life that's in you and me. The life of God. Jesus is under terrific pressure, but he's not reacting or responding in a negative way. He knows what's ahead of his disciples. He knows that their hearts are going to fail. He knows that as they see him crucified on the cross, they're all going to scatter and go in different directions. He knows the fears. He knows the doubts. He knows the concerns. He knows for them it's going to seem as if everything's come to an end and his kingdom that he promised that would have no end is going to seem as if it's come, coming down and toppling over and crumbling. He knows all of that. And he says this, John chapter 14, verse 1, he's still in the room, okay? He's still in the upper room. And he says this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, if I had just read to you from John chapter 14, it would have lacked the impact the context, and the power of what Jesus was saying. Terrific things were happening. It was some of the darkest moments that Jesus had probably ever faced in his life, and he's in control. Let not, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God Believe also in me when they had began with Jesus on their journey three years prior to this moment. They had sat in a boat and they had heard him say, let down your net. And at the close of their time with Jesus, now he's in an upper room and he says, let not, let not your heart be troubled. What is he saying? He's bringing command. He's issuing a command to be obeyed. He's giving them an instruction to be followed, direction to take in this moment of fierce opposition and darkness. Let not your heart be troubled. Maybe today you've come into this place. You know what it's like. Circumstance hits you from the left and the right. Your, 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 your health, you're unsure about your health. You're unsure there's questions about your, your future. You worry. You struggle. Every single one of us 
at some point have felt the cold sweats of anxiety and worry and fear and into that darkness, into that fruitless emotion of worry and anxiety and fear, into that horrid feeling that's evoked by that evil voice of the enemy, Jesus stands like he stood in that boat and says, let not, let not your heart be troubled, church. I'm telling you, God's, God never wants his church troubled. God never wants his church running away and, 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 and losing ground. God wants his church and his people advancing in every field. He wants you blessed in the house, outside of the house. He he wants your barns to be overflowing like Anne said. He wants you to be blessed. And very often the enemy comes, man, and he tries to keep your, your life under a ceiling of fear. You're never going to rise above it. You're never going to go through. Yeah, you're going to go through, all right, because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Your faith is not going to be in your feelings. Your faith is not going to be in your fears. Your faith is going to be in the Son of God to do what he's told you he's going he's to do. And blessing will result. He gives them. He gives them direction and he gives us direction too. Colossians, this is why Paul wrote to the, to the church at Colossae so confidently. Even though things tried to break this man on every front, emotionally, physically, circumstantially, everything came at him. Everything tried to shut down the, 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 the move and the advance of God's kingdom in the earth through this man and through the churches that he established. And this is why he so confidently says this. Colossians 3, verse 15 and 16, he says, and let the peace of God, let it, let it rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Then he goes on. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all its wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Let the peace of God rule. Let it be the umpire. That's what he's saying. Let it be that authoritative voice. Let the peace of God be the judge over the circumstance. Let the peace of God give you direction as to whether you're going to involve your life in a given direction. If it says no, go with the peace. Let it rule. If you feel that your mind is going and your imagination is going in certain directions and it, and it disturbs you, bring order Amen. in your mind. Paul says this, you see, we have authority even in the realm of our thinking. Amen. Paul said that we, that we take every thought captive. You're not to be taken captive by your thoughts and your feelings. You're You've got the authority and the power of God inside you to take your thoughts captive and bring them into submission to Christ. You really have. On into Philippians 4. Again, you're going to know this well. Philippians 4 verse 6 and verse 7. 
Be anxious for nothing but in prayer and supplication, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Let your requests be made known. If there's an area that's causing you to be anxious, if there's an area that's causing you to worry, let your requests be made known unto God. And suddenly what you'll find is that peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. On from here, as we allow the, as we allow our hearts not to be troubled, as we allow the peace of God to control us, as we allow it to rule in our lives and in our hearts, as we, as, as we allow that peace of God to unfold, guarding our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus, the well-being of our heart and our emotions are in line with God's purpose and blessing for our lives. But on from here, now we move to our words and actions because God's word has something to say about our words and about our actions. It has many things to say, actually, as to how we to speak and how we to conduct ourselves in life. James chapter 1, verse 19, giving advice to the church as to, as to life and how to live it. James says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I remember years ago, you know, the Holy Spirit, I was in the kitchen. I always remember when he talks to me. I was in the kitchen and this verse came up in my spirit, Dave, Dave, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I thought, yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I want to live by that. And then I began to see how I was slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to get angry. And I went to God. You see, his word's a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. It'll show you where you are. It'll come, as, as, it'll come to reprove you and refine you. It'll come to bring judgment on your actions. And slowly but surely, it'll bring you into that place where you can be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That's where God wants all of us. Now, that may not be where we are today. Sometimes we may be slow to hear, slow to collect the facts, slow to understand where the other person is coming from, slow to, 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 to understand and empathize with their feelings and their emotions. We're, we're slow to hear and we're quick to jump in with our, with our talk and, and with our hurtful words and we're, we're quick to get angry. But you know what? As we, as we address that, as we see that, don't be condemned. I've been there. Don't be condemned. You're a work in progress just like I am. 
but recognize it, see it, and address it, and slowly, step by step, you will become, after your fingers have been burnt, and after you've gone through, you know, some hardship, and you've lost that peace for 18 months, and you can't get to sleep because the Holy Spirit is convicting you about the way you talk to that person and you ripped into them and you dress them down, you'll slowly learn. And when it comes up in the future, you'll realize that, hey, I'm going to back off here. I am going to be quick to hear. And not only hear part of the conversation, I'm going to be here as long as you need me to be here because I'm going to be listening to every detail in order to respond correctly to you. You'll be, you'll be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's where God wants us to be. So this area works. It works in our words and our actions. Many commands in the New Testament that address how we live and how we act and how we talk. Not so that we can be... Oh, you know, in a straight jacket? No, so you can flourish, so that you can be that great person, that workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus, so every word from your mouth can come under the scrutiny of God's Word, and it can resemble the very words of Christ as we converse with others. What a glorious life it is. Ephesians 4, Paul Again, bringing direction, commands to be obeyed, instructions to be listened to, and direction to be received. He comes to the, to the Ephesians and he writes to them, Ephesians chapter 4 through verses 25, 29, and 31. He says this, therefore, putting away lying. You wouldn't think you'd have to write that in the Bible to a church, would you? Of Christians? But you do. Ever told a lie? I, I told him. I put my hands and my two feet up. Of course I have. I told lies. I've deceived. Sometimes it's not what I've said. It's like Faye said. Really wise. Sometimes lying can be what you omit. Not just what you, what you say, but what you keep out of the conversation. Because it's equally as deceptive as the lie itself. Very true. But he says, hey, listen, I'm just coming with some practical advice for you to listen to. Why? Because I want your life to be blessed. Don't lie. Don't lie. Let each one of you speak the truth. Man, you can't get any more simpler than this, can you? And we will get tested on it. And hey, listen, if you tell a lie... Just go to the person and just say, oh, look, you know, sorry, what I said there wasn't exactly truthful. I lied. Please forgive me. I, I want to tell the truth. I want to correct that lie. It's best to, right? Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Then he says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary education, edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
You know, when you want to rip into somebody and give them a piece of your mind, that's when you've got to hold back. Don't let anything corrupt come out of your mouth as a result of how you feel. And just, you know, edify the, edify the person. Be a blessing to the person. Let life come out of your mouth, not corruption. Again, when the pressure's on, it's not easy. But we can do it. We really can. Then he says this, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God in Christ forgave the church. I'm telling you, listen, there was issues in the Ephesians church where brother and sister needed to forgive brother and sister, where, where there was wrongdoing and wrong speaking, but that didn't close the church down. Paul just showed them practically how they had to take the word of God, let down their net, practice it, reverse all of the wrong that had, that had occurred, and see the blessing of God to keep them on track in the journey that they were on within that city. There's no perfect church. You won't find one. You really won't. But as we have that unconditional love of God to forgive one another as God forgave us, we can do it. We can do it, church. We can do what he wants us to do. Speak the truth. Let each one of you speak the truth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. We don't live like that. We're Christ's followers. We don't, we don't want to, you know, have those aspects and those, those characteristics in our life. We want that unconditional love of God flowing through our hearts in our in our lives toward one another. These are all commands to be obeyed, instructions to be taken, directions to be followed, just like Peter had to move beyond his objections and obey and act and step out and let down that net. So God requires those same steps of surrender and submission and obedience from us in order to see his blessing. Let's move on finally to our third point. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We may have gone on just a, a little today, but do you know there were some important things that we had to do in the service? We've had a great day, haven't we? We've had a great day today. And like Faye said, next week we're on holiday. I know, James. I know. We're on holiday. But Dale, Dale's on next week. Dale's going to preach. I'm telling you, what a blessing Dale is to us. And also then Paul is going to speak, uh, Paul Marshall, the week after. So I'm telling you, man, you are, you are going to be so blessed by these men. Wonderful servants of God with the Word of God in their hearts. Finally, we see how this little verb, this little word amidst the many, many New Testament commands in Scripture affects our relationships with one another, with others. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15 says this, 
or it might be verse 14. Let all that you do be done with love. What a standard. What a way to live. What an attitude to have. What a filter. What a lens to process all of life's decisions through. Making God's Word the final authority on everything you do, on every direction you take, on every decision that you make. And then finally Paul comes and he, he talks about our actions and our very reasons for doing what we do and being who we are. And he says, let everything be done. Let everything be done in love, through love. That word love there is the word agape. It's the very love of God that's unconditional, that's unmerited, that's undeserved. Maybe a situation in life today is giving you opportunity to give love that's undeserved, to give love that's unmerited, to give love that's unearned, and you don't want to do it. Your, your, your feelings rail against it. You've gone back into that place. God's taken you back into that situation that seems so unproductive. It's like the night hour where Peter was in his boat and he caught nothing. And your response is to turn away. Your response maybe is to say, we've been here so many times. I don't want to be here anymore. And the word of God comes like it came to Peter. Let, let all that you do be done with love. It doesn't really give us much options, does it? To be envious. It doesn't really give us much options to be jealous. It doesn't really give us much options to be angry. Let it all be done as far as, as, far as you're concerned, as far as I'm concerned. This is the standard. And this is the, the very reason why Jesus lives in you and me. To enable us to do all things in love. And he said in the, 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 the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, why? Why are we to do all things in love? Well, he answers the question in the previous chapter, because love never fails. It never fails. God wants you to be successful. He wants you to be blessed, even when people want to bring you down, even when people want to cut you up. I'm telling you, love will take you through. Love will never fail. Love will take you even beyond the criticisms of people into all of the blessings that God has for you. We've just got to do it. We've just got to do it. We really have. This is my final, final, on final, final few verses. Philippians chapter 2. Ah, Jesus exemplified this life. He exemplified all of the things that we've talked about today and far, far more than I can ever describe. Philippians 2 talking about our actions, we're thinking about our word, our words and, uh, sorry, we're thinking about our relationships with others. Paul here brings direction and he says this, let nothing be done. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition 
or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Listen, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not count it or consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Let nothing be done. Let each esteem, let each of you look out, not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This little verb, this little word, let, this little doing word, this commanding word, this prefix on the instructions and the commands, the many commands in, in the New Testament, direct us to, to obedience and promise great blessing. The only, the only distance between what we, what we desire, the blessing and the abundance that we seek is just that obedience that it takes to do what God has told us to do. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for your people today. And Lord, as I have spoken your word, there's areas in our lives currently, Lord, where we may need to address certain aspects. Holy Spirit, thank you today. You've brought light. You've brought direction. You've, you've given us commands to obey instruction to receive and guidance to implement. Lord, you've, you've done it through your word. And there's many, many more promises that we could go to. Father, I pray. As you've spoken to our hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit, that now we would have the corresponding faith, not just to hear the word and amen the word. Give us the strength, give us the power, give us the resolve to go ahead and just work that word out in our walk, in our day-to-day -day walk. And it may be hard, and we may have to battle with feelings, and we may have to move through our objections. But Lord, I pray, your Holy Spirit, he's the helper, and he will help us in all of our work in this life, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing and give him praise. Let's give him a shout again today for his word. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise.